the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ begins with the bad news of our depravity. And therefore, the knowledge that we are under the wrath of God. I teach the youth at our church in Columbus, and, and everybody memorizes John 3.16. Not as many memorize John 3.36. Whoever does not believe, the wrath of God abides on them. Again, so the good news starts with this bad news that we are under the wrath of God. And the news clips and the videos that have been flooding our television sets over these last several months and years, and really since the beginning of time, reveal beyond all doubt the utter wickedness and depravity of man. Paul spends the first three chapters of Romans comprehensively bringing all humanity under the condemnation of God. Verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The Jew stands before God condemned. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And then chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. If there was a sign written above the Jew, it would read one word, condemned. Condemned. The Gentile stands before God, condemned. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and, con and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. If there was a sign written above the Gentile, it would say one word. Condemned. Condemned. All humanity stands before God condemned. 
Romans chapter 3 and verses 10 through 18. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If there was a sign written above all of humanity, it would read one word, condemned. Condemned. In these first three chapters of the book of Romans, every mouth has been stopped and the whole world has been held accountable to God. Condemned under the curse of His wrath with no hope of deliverance but a full expectation of judgment and ultimate damnation for all eternity in hell. To quote Jesus, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. This is the state of humanity. This, however, is what prepares us for the truly good news of the gospel. We are in this condition because we are in Adam. We are in Adam. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 5. Adam, as the federal head of all mankind, represented us before God in the garden. When he sinned, we all fell. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Chapter 5, verse 17, 19. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. By one man's disobedience, all are made sinners. Therefore, the prophet Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. Therefore, in Adam, we are dead in sin enslaved to various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, whose good works are as filthy rags. Proud, boastful, ruthless, enemies and haters of God, lovers of wickedness and given over to idolatry. This is us. In Adam. Therefore, by the works of the law, no human being 
will be justified in his sight. At this point, we should cry out with the Philippian jailer, well, what must I do to be saved? Is there no hope? We need a new, a new head. Someone else who can represent us before God. But not someone that just represents us from this point, moment forward. Because I have a past. I have a, a history of sin. So I need someone that, that, that will represent me going forward, but will also pay my price. For we all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And if God is just, if God is just, then he must condemn us. This also means that this person must be no mere man. For all of man is not only under the law, but under the curse of the law. Which is why it says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth no mere man. God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And so Paul continues in Romans chapters 4 and 5 and shows us that there is a new head. Another Adam who can represent us before God. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly, and not only that, but one who delivered himself up for us to die and face the wrath of God in our place. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were His enemies, Christ died for us. And therefore, Romans 5, 18 through 21, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this sounds amazing, but how can this be? I mean, what must I do to change from being in Adam to being in Christ? The change from in Adam to in Christ, the Apostle tells us, comes... By faith. By faith. Romans 3 and verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. This is the teaching of all the scriptures. Abraham himself 
could not be made righteous or justified by his works. How was Abraham justified? Romans chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It has always been about faith, not the works of the law. Righteousness comes through faith. The law was given, as it says in Galatians, the law was given as our guardian. It was our schoolmaster, our, our tutor, depending on the translation. Our tutor that was meant to lead us to Christ. For it is through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. And being in Christ... Being in Christ, our old man, our old self, is crucified with him. This is Romans chapter 6. His death is our death. And his resurrection is our resurrection. And we are set free from slavery to sin, that we may become slaves of God. We have died to the law and entered into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Where we no longer serve in, in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the Spirit. But then in Romans 7, we learn that sin, however, is not eradicated from our bodies. And there is a law that we find, even as believers in Christ, that when we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And Romans 7 goes into great depth discussing the internal struggle and spiritual warfare that still takes place in the believer. For many, this struggle is the cause of great pain, great sorrow, confusion. Why would I struggle with that? Why do I still have that desire? I don't want to want that. And it's brought many a believer to places of great brokenness, shame, and overwhelming or even debilitating guilt. And they cry out like Paul at the end of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But praise God, praise God, so that we don't become defeatist in our mentality. Paul immediately follows that up with, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he heads into this great high point of Scripture we have before us now. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, never forget this verse. There is, therefore, because of chapters 1 through 7, because of all that we've just gone through this morning, because of what Christ has accomplished, there is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there was a sign over the believer, no longer would it read one word, condemned. Instead, it would read, Righteous, justified, holy, sanctified, adopted, loved, transformed. The blood of Jesus Christ has paid in full all your sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin. It is paid. All of it. Brothers and sisters, do not forget this. Some Christians, and perhaps some of you, live in a continual self-pity and self-punishment for your sin. As if the, the sacrifice of Jesus, yeah, gets you into heaven, but then you have to go moping about in spiritual depression and heaviness. Constantly beating yourself up for, for failures. Brothers and sisters, this is not in accordance with the Scriptures. According to commentator Leon Morris, the, the Greek word translated condemnation is a forensic term. And in this context, it includes both the sentence and the execution of the sentence. In other words... There is quite literally absolutely nothing that can come against the Christian. 
the sentence and the execution of that sentence has already been meted out upon Jesus Christ. It is a blasphemous and a Romish thought that would seek to bring a believer back under any form of condemnation ever. Again, it is a blasphemous and Romish thought that would bring, seek to bring any believer back under condemnation. Do not believe the lie. You are free in Christ. Walk in the joy that is yours in Christ. Now, I believe there's a balance here, but I personally believe that believers ought to be known as some of the happiest people on the earth. Not because their life is perfect. Not because they have no problems. The money's always pouring in. The drink is always good. The food's always amazing. I'm not talking happiness like the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world because they, and only they, can sing, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Brothers and sisters, revel in the freedom, joy, and forgiveness that is yours in Christ. Give people a reason to ask for the hope that is in you. What you have in Jesus is life and world transforming. Do not hide it. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. However, we must not miss the qualifier. This is only speaking to those who are in Christ. Not to those who are in church. Not to those who prayed a prayer one time. Not to those who grew up in Sunday school. Not to those who tithe, who have their name on a church roll. Not to those who volunteer for every committee and event. No, it is only true for those who have turned to Christ in faith and repentance, having been born again by the Spirit of God. Who are no longer in Adam, but in Christ. United to Him in His death, united to Him in His resurrection, and members of His body. And if that's not you, then you have no part the verse would better read for you there is therefore much condemnation for you who are apart from Christ Jesus but that does not have to be your condition any longer turn to him turn to him who bore such pain and sorrow for loathsome sinners like you turn to him who when reviled did not revile in turn Turn to him who willingly laid down his life for those who despised and rejected him. Turn to him who was pierced for our transgressions. 
and crushed for our iniquities. Turn to Him who alone can save. The Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all, and He poured out His soul to death while making intercession for sinners. You are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised today. Embrace Christ and receive salvation. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin, the the rule or the, the controlling principle that governed his conduct and made him a prisoner in Romans 7, is now met by a higher law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the distinguishing mark of the Christian by whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption and who cleanses our souls with the blood of Christ not only to cleanse us from the guilt of sin, but also to sanctify us that we may truly, experientially, be made holy. To quote Leon Morris again, Paul is saying that when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, that person is liberated from bondage to evil and finds a new power within a power that causes the defeat of sin and leads the liberated person into ways of goodness and love. As another commentator has summarized, Moses' law has right, but not might. Sin's law has might, but not right. The law of the Spirit has both right and might. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God has done what the law, weakened, by the flesh, could not do. Paul in Romans 7 teaches us that that due to our fallenness, the law, rather than keeping us from sin, actually stirs up greater desire for sin. And if you want proof of that, put a sign on something that says, do not touch. And everybody that goes past it is going to want to touch it. The law stirs up desire for sin. The law cannot save. It exposes the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But God did not leave us without hope. He sent His Son, who took on flesh. God became man. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. Notice, though, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
Jesus came in the flesh, in a physical body, just like yours and mine, but he did not have a sinful nature like yours and mine. He did not have that inward compulsion to sin. No internal drive towards sin. Therefore, he accomplished for us what we could never do. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that, to this end, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, this righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us in two ways. First, it is fulfilled in us positionally. Positionally, in justification, the, the legal declaration of being right with God. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, the, the great exchange. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, a verse that you should know, you should have it memorized. If you haven't, I highly commend it to you. Memorize it, repeat it often. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My life for his, his life for mine, he takes my sin and my punishment and gives me his perfect obedience and righteousness. That's a great Exchange. Therefore, God looks upon me. He looks upon all who are in Christ as if they've never sinned, as if they have always obeyed. That is a truth that turns the world upside down. Second, it is fulfilled in us practically or experientially. Our justification, legal declaration of being right with God, our justification, while certainly different from, cannot be separated from our sanctification. Our practical holiness. Again, the two can be distinguished, but never separated. And so, practically speaking, we, end of verse 4, we, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit works within us so that we, we don't no longer walk after the flesh, but instead after the Spirit. And the Spirit produces in us fruit, love, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. As F.F. Bruce said, God's commands have now become God's enablings. That which we were once powerless to do, powerless to perform, we can now do. But not in our own strength. Only in the strength that God supplies, which only comes by His Spirit, the Spirit of grace dwelling within us. Jesus accomplished 
what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do. There is, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the glorious gospel. We thank you for the salvation that is ours in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in our relationship with you. Truly, that we would give the world a reason to ask for why is there so much hope within us? And Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, that they would be stirred up, convicted by your Spirit, that you would soften hearts and draw men and women unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray.